Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we again bow before you this morning and thank you for this opportunity to gather together with our fellow brothers and sisters to worship you. We just thank you for the message you have chosen to share through Brother Lester here this morning. I just pray that you would open our hearts, our minds to what you have for us today. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome each one of you to our service today and invite you to worship with us and to seek God's word together. I've chosen this morning to look at the subject of Thanksgiving, since it is a day that Thanksgiving was a day that we just celebrated this past week. I appreciate the thoughts that my dad shared in the devotional this morning lines up very well with, with what I am sharing as well. And um, I want to look at Thanksgiving Day and ask this question, is it a tradition or is it a conviction in our lives? Dad talked about the holidays and the peace and as well as Thanksgiving and, and those things that we, we think about and, and looking at the sadness of, of the lost world around us and the, the short-lived peace and happiness that they at times um, that we see that, that, that the world has, and, and how that, um, I want to look at how that Thanksgiving in particular, if it is a conviction, a part of our spiritual lives, a part of our hearts, it is not merely a day that we remember, it is um, much, much deeper than that. I'd like to turn to the book of Daniel and use the story of Daniel's life to look at Thanksgiving Asking the question for us, is it a tradition or a conviction? I realize that Daniel's probably not the first person we think of when we turn to the scriptures looking for some inspiration on Thanksgiving. But it is, I believe, an important part of Daniel's life, even though it's not mentioned all that frequently in this book. I think it was a foundation, a stone in the foundation of, of Daniel's life. I want to particularly notice one verse, and I'll just read that at this point, and then we'll be looking at some different portions of this story of Daniel. But Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Right there we see that Daniel had a custom, or I'm going to use the word tradition, of being thankful. It was something that was a part of his life. Uh, I think you could say it was a habit that he had formed as was his custom since early days, to pray and to give thanks. We also know, as we look at, at the picture of what was all going on here, we realize, and you're probably familiar enough with this story, that right here was just before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. So the king had made a decree, King Darius had made a decree, that uh, anybody who does, who petitions any other person or God other than the king, 
uh, will be thrown into the den of lions. So we realize that Daniel had a conviction to give thanks to God. He wouldn't have had to do this. Um, he could have kept his windows shut. He could have said, well, for 30 days, I, I'm not going to do this in order to save my own life. But he was willing to put his own life at risk to pray and give thanks to his God. Thankfulness was a tradition. Now, we see how Daniel says that, or it says here that it was his custom since early days. And, and we want to look at where that came from. I'm not sure. We know that the story of Daniel, how as at a fairly young age, he was taken into captivity, taken to a foreign land, the city of Babylon, uh, probably separated from his parents. It doesn't tell us uh, if his parents were godly or not, or it doesn't tell us whether this was a tradition that they had passed on to him. It's likely that it was. If we look back at First um, Kings chapter 8, tells us where this tradition of praying towards Jerusalem and giving thanks and, and the significance of that. It tells us here in 1 Kings chapter 8, here is where Solomon had completed the building of the temple. And I will read verses 46 through 50. This is Solomon's, what we sometimes refer to as his prayer of dedication to the temple or for the temple. And this is what he says beginning of verse 46, when they sin against you, praying to God on behalf of the people, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemy who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. So I believe that this is where this tradition came from that Daniel had of opening his windows towards the city of Jerusalem, which I think would have been towards the east, and praying to God. Daniel realized that he was one of those people who Solomon said, you know, in the future, if these people sin and if they're taken captive, um, that they pray to you, that they turn to God. Daniel realized that he was one of those captives. He was in a foreign land, and he was committed to praying to God. Whether this was a tradition that his parents had started already before they were taken captive, we don't know for sure. But somewhere along the line, Daniel picked up on this. A tradition is defined as the handing down of beliefs and customs from generation to generation or a long established or inherited way of thinking or acting. And it appears like this is indeed what this was for Daniel. It was something that he did regularly, regardless of uh, the circumstances. 
We also see that it was Daniel's first impulse to give thanks. If we turn back to, to Daniel chapter 2, here's another account of Daniel giving thanks. And, and it, was, it seemed like just what came his natural response or his first impulse. This is where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he asked the wise men um, of his kingdom, which included Daniel, to give him not only the, the meaning of the dream, but, but I think in order to, to verify that what they were saying was, was not just something they made up. He also told them that you're to tell me what my dream was. And then if you can do that, I can believe that your interpretation is accurate. And of course, the, the, um, we, we know the story of, of the consequences that Nebuchadnezzar had said there will be if, if his wise men do not interpret this dream, their lives will be taken. Daniel petitions the captain of the king's guard to give him some time to, to um, seek an answer or seek a, an understanding of what the, the king was asking. Here again, Daniel's life was on the line. In chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, uh, here was Daniel went back and, and prayed to God, and the secret was revealed to him in a night vision. It says in verse 19. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He re reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel's immediate response was to thank God for revealing this to him. And I'm going to suggest that a tradition is indeed a, a useful way of passing on a conviction. Now, as we look at this, this tradition that Daniel had, the, the question that comes to my mind Roy, is which came first, the, the tradition or the conviction? Because we're going to look then to it. At, at it, it was a conviction he had. Um, he was not afraid to pray and thank God even when the, the lion's den was um, the consequence for doing that. So which came first, the tradition or the conviction? And I'm not sure that, that we can answer that completely. We don't, we don't for sure know when that tradition started. But I believe that tr the tradition and the conviction can work together. And a tradition can be a useful way to pass on a conviction. Perhaps his parents had the conviction that they should seek God, that they should daily pray to him and give him thanks. And... Daniel continued that tradition, but, and as he did that, he realized the power that God had. He, he saw how God answers prayer and in miraculous ways, and, and that, that prayer of thanksgiving became a conviction for him. Or it could have been the other way around as well, that he had a conviction, and because of his conviction, he decided that three times every day he is going to open his window and pray towards Jerusalem. A conviction is defined as a fixed or firmly held belief, the state of being convinced. Sometimes we define it as the things that we will be willing to die for. 
And now I think that, that many times we use the word conviction in a broader sense than that. Um, for example, if you are in a circle of friends or peers and you're debating some important things and, and there may appear to be some things that you have convictions about as you discuss and argue and debate. However, if you were like some of our forefathers were tied to a stake and there was wood made ready and a the, the preparation to build a fire that you would be burned at the stake for what you believe, and you were asked questions about what your convictions are, the list would probably be different than, than if you were in that, that circle of friends having a, a debate. But it's a fixed or firmly held belief, and it, it's something that we are convinced of. Daniel knew, notice what it says there in verse 10 of chapter 6, Daniel knew that the writing was signed. So, these um, governments, forget exactly what it calls them in chapter 6 there, they, they came up with a plan to trap Daniel and brought this to the king. The governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps and the counselors and advisors, they were trying to trap Daniel and they convinced the king to, to sign this de decree and the king apparently did not realize Daniel's convictions or, or forgot about that. And went ahead and signed this decree and, and later uh, regretted it because he had to throw Daniel into the den of lions. Daniel knew. He knew what the cost was and he still prayed. He was convinced that that was the right thing to do, to give thanks to God in that situation. We also know in looking at the story of Daniel that, that he lived with conviction. Uh, we can see that over and over again in this account. For 70 Years or more, he lived in Babylon in a strange land. He did not forget his God, despite the influence around him. He did not forget his God. He did not uh, just blend in with the culture. And, and he, he remembered the God, his God. And, and as you read on through the book here, the last several chapters talk about Daniel. And there's a, the prayer recorded there. Um, as he pleads with God to remember his people, realizing that, that the time was coming that, according to Scripture, they would be delivered from the Babylonians. Daniel lived with conviction. He had some firmly held beliefs that he was willing to stand for, no matter what the cost. And Daniel built his convictions on what God said. We see this in chapter 9. Um, on that, in that prayer, on behalf of his people, uh, if we will take the time to read that, you will see how that Daniel pleads with God to, to save them, to deliver them, um, because, God, that's what you said you would do. Daniel understood the times and, and went back into the Old Testament prophets and, and what they had said and realized that God had promised that he would deliver. So he pleads with God. And he built his convictions on what God said, on the basis of God's word. Just to, to help us think a little bit about the, the difference here in, in conviction or tradition, there, is a, there was recently printed in the New York Times a column by uh, the columnist Pamela Paul 
And she apparently is, or she does indeed define herself as a secular humanist. She wrote this recently here in the holiday or in the Thanksgiving season. And, and I read the entire column, but I'm only going to read a part of it to you just to help us understand uh, how an ungodly world thinks about Thanksgiving. As we think about Thanksgiving being a tradition or a conviction, um, as we see here in Daniel's life, Thanksgiving, how we, how we give thanks and what Thanksgiving means to us tells us a lot about what, how we think about God and what part God has in our lives. So as she wrote this column, she was lamenting the fact that so many of our holidays are just um, filled with controversy and strife and um, just the turmoil of the world. She referred to, to COVID and its disruptions in our holiday celebrations, um, politics, uh, the, the dilemma of going to family dinners and dealing with your uncle or your aunt who has these controversial political views and things like that. And she says, but would it be a problem to suggest that maybe Thanksgiving not be a problem this year? Boiled down to its essentials, Thanksgiving is a holiday about shared gratitude. We could just think about the thanks in Thanksgiving for a change. That gratitude may have originally been intended toward that gratitude may have originally been intended toward God and those Native Americans who helped the newly arrived colonists survive, and for whom atonement may have been more appropriate. But even for us secular humanists, Thanksgiving offers a moment to appreciate whatever good this year wrought, even if by accident or chance. There's a, a, an illustration of someone who has a tradition of thanksgiving, but not a conviction of thanksgiving. And, and, and we see that people like this try to eliminate God from their lives. Now, on the one hand, it, it's so sad because they're not seeing the real meaning of thanksgiving, and yet there is a little glimpse there that they don't realize, probably not, but she acknowledges that there is good and that Thanksgiving offers a moment to appreciate this good. We realize that good only comes from God. There is no other way. She believes it may be by accident or by chance that she has even experienced anything good to be thankful for. If that good is only by accident and chance, is there really any reason to celebrate? Is there really any reason to be thankful? This is the emptiness of Thanksgiving as simply a tradition and not a conviction. <clears throat> Albert Moeller said thankfulness is a theology in microcosm, or, or in other words, it's, it's a, a picture of how we view God if, if you were to put it in, in a miniature form. You come to understand an entire system of theology, an entire set of doctrines and beliefs by what the Christian believes about gratitude. And this is thus the key to understanding what we really believe about God, what we really believe about ourselves, and what we really believe about the world we experience. A conviction for thankfulness is inseparable from a firmly held belief in God and the proper understanding of a relationship with him. 
I'd like to look at the influence of a conviction for thankfulness. If we have that conviction, if we live with that conviction, what did it, how did that change Daniel? First of all, let's look at, at, again at the, the story of his life. And I've noticed two ways here that the conviction for thankfulness shaped Daniel's life. Thankfulness helped Daniel to be humble. In chapter 2, verse 28 through 30. This is what Daniel said to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, after God gave him the understanding of that that dream, both, both what the dream was and its meaning. So he came to... Arioch, the, the, um, the king's captain there, and, and left him know that, that he had an interpretation and he wanted to go to the king and present that. So Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king. And um, the king, I'll read and start in 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were, the, were these. And he continues then to give the king that, that dream that he had as well as its interpretation. But I, what I want you to notice here is, Okay, previous to this, there was, there was a reward offered by the king for the person who could do this. There was gifts, there was honor promised to Daniel if he could interpret this dream. Daniel doesn't take any credit here before the king, as he stands before the king. He doesn't take any credit for being able to understand this, but instead he, he lets the king, very clearly lets him know that this was God who is giving you the answer. It's not me. It's God giving you the answer. This is one example of how Daniel lived his life in such a humble way. It wasn't the reward. It wasn't the gift that he wanted. Daniel simply saw himself as a channel through which God works. We can define humility as as a proper understanding of who we are in relation to God. Humility is not not downing ourselves. It's not belittling ourselves. It's not saying that we are something less than what God has said that we are, but it's simply aligning who we are with who God says we are. It's the proper understanding of who we are in relation to God. So God values us we should see ourselves as valuable to God. However, we are his servants. We know that God is all-powerful and we are to submit to him. So Daniel sees himself simply as a channel through which God works. He was willing to go before the king and to boldly tell the king about God. He didn't take any of the credit for himself. Uh, Later on, not sure if I put this in my notes anywhere, but later on there was a time, uh, I think this may have been the second time that he interpreted a dream for the king, and, and he specifically said, no, I don't, I don't want your gifts, I don't want your rewards, that's not what I'm looking for. But he was simply there to be a channel that God could use 
And yes, his own life was spared because he brought this interpretation. But, but he says, King, it, it's God that is bringing this to you. <clears throat> Pride and ingratitude go hand in hand. We see this in Nebuchadnezzar's life in chapter 4, verse 30. This defined Nebuchadnezzar, pride and ingratitude. So this was the second dream that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where he realized that he would be humbled, that he would become like, um, that he would eat grass like an ox. He spent seven years living in that state. And Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 30, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? That's what Nebuchadnezzar was saying before he was humbled. He looked out at his kingdom saying, isn't this what I have built? Pride and ingratitude. He fails to give any credit to the scores of people who were supporting him, who were helping him, who helped him build that kingdom. Daniel being one of them. He failed to give any credit to anyone else, but he said, I, isn't this the great Babylon that I have built? Much less give any credit to God, who was the one who allowed him to succeed as a king. The second influence in Daniel's life that this conviction for thankfulness had was, was the reputation he lived, that, that he had in that country. And I'm simply defining it as the light that was in him. In chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, and this is now before King Belshazzar. So Daniel served under, I believe, four different kings, at least four different kings, in his, his, the decades that he spent here in this foreign country. Belshazzar was one of those, and it tells us in verse 8, so Belshazzar had a feast, he saw this hand writing on the wall, a message on the wall, and he was confused and troubled by, by the meaning of it. In verse 8, now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. So, so the king is just, and, and his lords are, are in, in a situation here where, where they're just, it, this ruined their party. And they're not sure what to do about it. They can't understand what this means. A mysterious hand came and wrote on the wall. The queen then comes in because she realizes the king is in distress. She comes in and reassures him. Don't let your thoughts trouble you. She says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, 
and interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. So the queen brings him some hope that maybe there's a man who can help you understand this. She says that this man, in this man dwells light and wisdom. Like the wisdom of the gods, she recognized that there was something divine, a power that Daniel had, that was beyond the power of any of the wise men of that kingdom. It was like the wisdom of the gods. So the king immediately calls Daniel, and he says to him in verse 14, I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Both the king and the queen saw this light in Daniel. What do they mean by light is found in him? I believe it simply means there's understanding and there's wisdom that is superior to, to anything that uh, any man can have apart from the spirit of God. They saw the spirit of the holy God in him, something divine. I'd like for you to compare this with what it tells us in Romans chapter 1 about um, ungodly men. Can, can any of you recall, what does Roman, Romans 1 say about um, in talking about ungodly men and unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in righteousness. Um, keep going. What else does it say? They were ungrateful. Their foolish heart was darkened. Here it tells us that these, that these ungodly people are ungrateful and there's darkness in them. The opposite of the light that the king and the queen saw in Daniel. They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because they did not glorify God as God nor were thankful. That is the influence of thankfulness as a conviction in our lives. There is a light found in us. The kings that Daniel served, there are several instances where they glorified God as God because of what they saw in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 47, after Daniel had interpreted that dream and Daniel and his friends were promoted, the king said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Because of that light that was in Daniel, because of the power of, the God, of God working through him, the king also glorified God. And also King Darius in chapter 6. I think this is after Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. <clears throat> Chapter 6, verse 26. Darius says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? The kings glorified God 
because of the light that was in Daniel, because of his conviction that he lived with. Thankfulness is the will of God for us. It is a command from God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. So it should be a tradition in our lives. We realize that thankfulness is a command. It's right for us to practice thankfulness as a tradition. But if it is only a tradition, as it appeared to be in the Babylonian kingdom, if you go back there to the verses I just read um, in chapter 6, there was a decree made by King Darius that God would be the one who is glorified. There was a decree made. I don't know how long that lasted or what kind of influence that had, how how long uh, the people continued to do that, or, or even the king himself how long he continued to recognize God as God. But there was a decree made, and in some sense it was a tradition set that now they give glory to God. Regardless of our circumstances or our feelings, thankfulness should be a tradition. It's a command. But if it's only a tradition, it will be like the Babylonian kingdom, like in our country today, where Thanksgiving Day is a tradition. And yet we have people who have no one to give thanks to, but simply the good that they have supposedly experienced by chance. Kings and governments, decrees and laws can make something a tradition, but that cannot make it a conviction. It must become a conviction for us if we are to be humble like Daniel and if that light from God is to radiate out of our lives as it did for Daniel. I'd like to close with just turning to Colossians chapter 2. Some admonition here is given to the church about being thankful. Verses 6 and 7. Paul says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. <clears throat> abounding means to overflow. It means there's, there's excess. There's more than enough. And this is in the context of, of Paul's concern that they would not be led astray, that the church would not be led astray. In verse 4, This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive ver- words. And in verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Right in between there he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you have, you have a foundation to build on. You have Christ Jesus, his teaching, his sacrifice for you. Continue in that. Be rooted and build up in that. Make that a conviction in your life to follow Christ. Be established in the faith. Do what you have been taught to and abound in it with thanksgiving. So how we celebrate thanksgiving, how we give thanks to God, says a lot about what we believe about God. May it be a conviction that the light of God would flow out of our lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you.
that we can open your word and your truth is revealed to us. Thank you for the freedom in this country that we have to read and study your word, to worship together. We realize many um, are turning away from you, are even trying to give thanks without you. We realize that you are the foundation of our lives. You are, you are good and all goodness comes from you. And we want to give thanks to you because of what you have done. Because you have created this world for a purpose. You have given life to each of us for a purpose. We thank you for the many rich blessings that we enjoy. And even in difficult times, even in trying circumstances, we can give thanks to you because you are good. May this be a conviction in our lives. And may your light radiate out of us because of that thankfulness in us. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Chad, would you have a closing song?